What do we like beans with? I said, what do we like beans with? <laughs> oh, at least someone's listening to me. Hmm. Right, I hope you've come fresh from the legendary Mr. Donlan's awesome trig lesson. It was brilliant, that. Oh, I really enjoyed it. Um, we'll post it up later on YouTube like we do with this. So if you didn't catch it at the time, you can catch it later and learn all about hypotenuses. And just to add to what he said, adjacency is quite right. That means next to something. And we don't, we don't just use that in maths, we use it in English as well. So for example, the beans are adjacent to the ketchup. I like beans with <laughs> ketchup. I, I quite like having you as a hype man in the background. That's Mrs. Griffiths there, urging me on from a safe distance. So <laughs> let's crack on. So again, the usual drill. I read, I interrupt myself a lot, and there's a chance for you to put comments in, but as I always say, it's tricky sometimes to notice the comments while I'm reading, so I'll, I'll try and have a look at them, but... Um, I'll also answer some questions at the end. If anything you want to put, slap it down there. I'd be delighted to, to interact with you like it's a 21st century. I've got something to show you first, and it's terrifying. Remember we talked about Cupid dolls in the brothel yesterday? I'm going to show you a picture of a, a Cupid doll, and you're not going to like it. Look at that thing. Now, let me just get it so we can see the whole terror of it. It's an odd thing. It's it's a. Uh, it does what it says in the tin. It's a doll made made out of a lamp. Beg your pardon. Made out of a doll. Sorry, I'm having trouble making it making it behave. So very very strange looking thing, isn't it? Yeah, that's better. Obviously, give you the full size of it now. Ah, creepy. So that's what they have. That um. They're making fun of in the unpleasant brothel. Um, this sort of weird looking thing. Um, so I guess the idea is that it's all sort of designed all sort of cutesy. But nonetheless, <laughs> yes, precious. That is very, very, very odd. Um, right, so ooh, a message here from Charlie Chandler as well, saying that his work's been set up on the Google Glass. We've not had a chance to access a computer. Uh, done the work in his book, like the crook's work. Um, well, look, firstly, I mean, the key thing is, Charlie, that you're getting your work done. So good luck. I mean, that's great. That's that's the most important thing. Secondly, look, why not? can you take a photo of it with your mobile and just attach it to the task if you genuinely can't? Or send a message just to say, I'll submit this later when I've got, you know, proper connection. Don't stress. The important thing is you're doing the work, and that's fantastic. Do you want to get rid of the Cupid dots? It's creeping me out. Spot the difference. Separated at birth. Um, oh, wow. Dominique, you were making a Cupid doll in college? Ooh, that's dark and spooky. <laughs> I'm impressed by that. Oh, that's a funny feeling yours looked a billion times better than this thing. If you actually do Google it, there's some terrifying ones out there. Really proper terrifying. That was good, good grammar, wasn't it? Right. She's gone now. We can forget all about her. Should we crack on with the book? So, we finished yesterday talking about prostitution, as you do. Um, the uh, Carlson got his way 
and Candy's dog was shot, wasn't it? Yeah, which is a really sad moment in the book. And then we had the sort of them going back to normal as if it didn't happen. It showed callousness, didn't it, really? They don't really understand other people's feelings very well, with the exception of Slim. Um, and now we've got the sort of aftermath of that. So the door opened and Lenny and Carlson came in together. Lenny crept to his bunk and sat down, trying not to attract attention. Carlson reached under his bunk and brought out his bag. He didn't look at old Candy, who still faced the wall. Carlson found a little cleaning rod in the bag and a can of oil. He laid them on his bed and then brought out the pistol, took out the magazine and snapped the loaded shell from the chamber. When he fell to cleaning the barrel with the little rod, Candy turned over and looked for a moment at the gun before he turned back to the wall again. Carlson said casually, Curly been in yet? Nah, said Wet. What's eating on Curly? Carlson squinted down the barrel of his gun. Looking for his old lady. Seen him going round and round outside. Wit said sarcastically. Spends half his time looking for her and the rest of the time she's looking for him. Um, can I just quickly make the point? Carlson is a pig. Don't use the word pig when you write about your work, but he's a pig, isn't he? Isn't he horrible? Remember how Slim was trying to say, take a shovel, but he didn't want to say it in front of Candy? That was when Carlson went out. And now Carlson comes back in and we see the exact opposite. Slim is considerate. He cares about other people's feelings. He feels really bad for Candy. So he wants to try and be kind and somehow soften the impact. Carlson just struts back in, doesn't even look at Candy, doesn't say anything to him about killing his dog, doesn't care. As far as he's concerned, job done. I killed the dog. Yay, good. Now it doesn't smell anymore. Because remember, he's selfish and horrible. And that was his motivation, wasn't it? And he walks in, he starts cleaning the flaming gun that just killed Candy's dog right in front of Cal. Poor Candy. Oh, Candy turns, looks at the gun and turns away again. And then the next line is telling, isn't it? Carlson said... Casually, has Curly been in yet? He's casual. He's relaxed, as far as he's concerned. It feels like nothing, just a normal routine thing. He's just been out at a wee against the side of the bunkhouse, come back in again. You know what I mean? Nothing's happened. He doesn't even think about how Candy must be feeling. Right then, look at the verb in this next sentence. How Curly enters a room, usually like this. Curly burst into the room excitedly. Any you guys see my wife? He demanded. She'd been here, said Wit. Curly looked threateningly round the room. Where the hell's Slim? An hour in the barn, said George. He's going to put tar on a split hoof. Curly's shoulders dropped and squared. Like he's ready for a fight. How long did he go? Five, ten minutes. Curly jumped out the door and banged her after him. Wit stood up. I guess maybe I'd like to see this, he said. Curly's just spoiling her. He wouldn't start for Slim. And Curly's handy, goddamn handy. Going to finals with the Golden Gloves. He got newspaper clippings about it, he considered. Just the same, better leave Slim alone. Nobody knows what Slim can do. Oh, Curly is looking for a fight with Slim. Oh, oh. And the Golden Gloves still exists. Um, it's, the, it's the top amateur boxing championship in the USA. So all the amateurs fight. And then if you get to the final, the Golden Gloves, you, you, you're the best amateurs in the country. In those days, amateurs maybe had a bit more status than they would now as well. You know, the professional games stepped on a lot in boxing, but then to get into the finals, the Golden Gloves, seriously, 
you're darn good. So Curly's a tasty fighter, but as Witt says, but you don't know what Slim can do. We all respect Slim. He can do anything. Could he beat Curly up? Are we about to find out? But why is Curly going after Slim? Think Slim's with his wife, don't he? Said George. Looks like it, Witt said. Of course, Slim ain't. At least I don't think Slim is. But I'd like to see the fuss if it comes off. Come on, let's go. George says, I'm staying right here. I don't want to get mixed up in nothing. Lanny and me got to make a steak. Carlson finished the cleaning of the gun and put it in the bag and pushed the bag under his bunk. Guess I'll go out and look her over, he said. Old Candy lay still, and Lenny, from his bunk, watched George cautiously. When Witt and Carlson were gone and the door closed after them, George turned to Lenny. What you got on your mind? I, I, I ain't done nothing, George. <clears throat> Slim says I better not pet them pups so much for a while. Slim says it ain't good for him. So I, I come right in. I've I been mean good, George. I could have told you that, said George. Well, I, I wasn't hurting them, no. I just had mine in my lap petting it. George asked, did you see Slim out in the barn? Sh sure I did. He told me I better not pet that pup no more. See that girl? You mean Curly's girl? Yeah. She come in the barn? No, anyways, I never seen her. You never seen Slim talking to her? Uh-uh, she ain't been in the barn. Okay, said George, I guess them guys ain't going to see no fight. If there's any fighting, Lenny, you keep out of it. I, I don't want no fight, said Lenny. <coughs> oh, pardon me. <clears throat> he got up from his bunk. I don't need to look at Sorry. He got up from his bunk and sat down at the table, across from George. Almost automatically, George shuffled the cards and laid out his solitaire hand. He used a deliberate, thoughtful slowness. <clears throat> Lenny reached for a face card and studied it, then turned it upside down and studied it. But both ends are the same, he said. George, why is it both ends the same? I don't know, said George. It's just a way to make them. Oh, Slim doing in the barn when you seen him. Slim? Sure, you seen him in the barn. He told you not to pet the pet pup so much. Oh, yeah. He had a can of tar and a paintbrush. I, I, I don't know what for. You sure that girl didn't come in like she come in here today? No, no, she didn't come. George sighed. You give me a good whorehouse every time, he said. A man can go in and get drunk and get everything out of his system all at once and no messes. He knows how much it's going to set him back. These here jailbaits are just set in the trigger of the who's gal. Again, sexist. Yeah, these jailbaits like Curly's wife are, are trouble. They're going to sort you out. Just go to the whorehouse. No complications. <clears throat> a sexist view towards women. Lenny followed his words admiringly and moved his lips a little to keep up. George continued. Remember Andy Cushman, Lenny? Went to grammar school. That the one that his old lady used to make hot cakes for the kids? Lenny asked. Yeah, that's the one. You can remember anything if it's got anything to eat in it. George looked carefully at the solitaire hand. He put an ace up on his scoring rack and piled a two, three and four diamonds on it. Andy's in San Quentin right now, on account of a tart, said George. It's a jail, San Quentin. Lenny drummed on the table with his fingers. Dodge, huh? Dodge, uh, how long's it going to be till we get that little place and live on the fat of the land and, and rabbits? I don't know. We've got to get a big stake together. I know a little place we can get cheap, but he ain't giving it away. <coughs> Old Candy turned slowly over. His eyes were wide open. He watched George carefully. 
Oh. Oh, situation. <sighs> Lenny and George are having a nice talk again about their dream about getting this farm. They're actually going into detail as well. They've forgotten that Candy's there, haven't they? So Candy's listening to them. <clears throat> but he's been so still and so quiet for so long, they've forgotten he's there. So they, they're trying to keep all the secrets, aren't they? Candy's listening. Ooh. Um, which is why, did you notice how that last bit then was a bit dull? Unimportant? George checking and checking again. Was Slim in the bar? No? Oh, okay. Talking about this Andy Cushman? It's all waffle, really. Yeah, the Steinbeck's trying to fool you into forgetting Gandhi's there too. He wanted to tread water for a page and a half or so, so we all forget. It's beautifully structured, this book. He's clever. Every little thing that he's doing is to have an effect on you, on your emotions. Um, and now we realise ahead of George and Lenny that uh, hmm, they're not alone, but they think they are. So he's talking about this farm, because George has actually picked out a farm to buy. Lenny said, tell about that place, George. I just told you just last night. Go on, tell again, George. Remember what you said in the first lesson? Children, and then he is childlike. And let's be honest, all of us like to get reassurance from repeating nice things over and over. Like I'm always like sort of in my head dreaming about scoring a winning goal for Wrexham in a Champions League final. I feel that ship may have sailed, but who knows? You never know. Well, it's ten acres, said George. Got a little windmill, got a little shack on it and a chicken run. Got a kitchen, orchard, cherries, apples, peaches, cots, nuts. Got a few berries. There's a place for alfalfa and plenty of water to flood it. There's a pig pen. And, and rabbits, George! No place for rabbits now, but I could easy build a few hutches and you could feed alfalfa to the rabbits. Damn right I could, said Lenny. You, 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 you're goddamn right I could. George's hands stopped working with the cards. His voice was growing warmer. We could have a few pigs. I could build a smokehouse like the one Grandpa had. When we kill a pig, we can smoke the bacon and the hams and make sausage and all like that. When the salmon run up river, we could catch a hundred of them and salt them down or smoke them. We could have them for breakfast. Ain't nothing so nice as smoked salmon. When the fruit come in, we could can it. And tomatoes, they're easy to can. Every Sunday, we'd kill a chicken and a rabbit. Maybe we'd have a cow or a goat, and the cream is so goddamn thick, you got to cut it with a knife and take it out with a spoon. Then he watched him with wide eyes, and old Candy watched him too. Then he said softly, we could live off the fat of the land. Sure, said George, all kinds of vegetables in a garden, and if we want a little whiskey, we can sell a few eggs or something, or some milk. We'd just live there, we'd belong there. There wouldn't be no more running around the country and getting fed by a jab cook. No, sir. We'd have our own place where we belonged and not sleep in no bunkhouse. To tell about the house, George, Lenny begged. Sure, we'd have a little house and a room to ourselves, A little fat iron stove and in the winter we'd keep a fire going in it. Enough land so we'd have to work too hard, maybe six, seven hours a day. And when we put in a crop while we'd be there to take the crop up, we'd know what come of our planting. And, and, and rabbits, Lenny said eagerly. And, and I'd take care of them. Tell how I'd do that, George. Sure, you'd go out in the alfalfa patch and you'd have a sack. You'd fill up the sack and bring her in and put her in the bread cages. They did nibble, and, and they'd nibble, said Lenny. The way they do, I seen them. Every six weeks or so, George continues, 
Them does would throw a litter, so we'd have plenty of rabbits to eat and to sell. I would keep a few pigeons to go fly around the windmill like they'd done when I was a kid. He looked rapidly at the wall over Lenny's head. There'd be our own, and nobody could can us. Don't like a guy, we can say, get the hell out. And by God, he's got to do it. If a friend come along, why, we'd have an extra bunk and we'd say, why don't you spend the night? And by God, he would. We'd have a Sarah dog and a couple striped cats. But you got to watch out, damn cats don't get the little rabbits. Then he breathed hard. You, 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 you just let them try to get the rabbits. I, 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 I sm break their goddamn necks. I, I, I smash them with a stick. He subsided, grumbling to himself threatening the future cats which might dare to disturb the future rabbits. I love that sentence. George sat entranced with his own picture. When Candy spoke, they both jumped as though they'd been caught doing something reprehensible. Candy said, You know where there's a place like that? George was on guard immediately. Suppose I do. He said, What's that to you? You don't need to tell me where it's at. It might be any place. Sure, said George. That's right. You can find her in a hundred years. Candy went on excitedly. How much they want for a place like that? George watched him suspiciously. Well, I could get it for 600 bucks. The old people that owns it is flat bust, and the old lady needs an operation. Say, what's it to you? You've got nothing to do with us. Candy said, I'm much good with only one hand. I lost my hand right here on this ranch. That's why they give me the job swamping. And they gave me $250 because I lost my hand. And I got 50 more saved right up in the bank right now. That's 300, and I got 50 more coming in the end of the month. Tell you what, he leaned forward eagerly. Suppose I went in with you guys. That's 350 bucks I'd put in. I ain't much good, but I could cook and tend the rabbit, chickens, chickens, and hold the garden some. How'd that be? George half closed his eyes. I gotta think about that. He's always gonna do it ourselves. Candy interrupted him. I'd make a will and leave my share to you guys in case I kick off. Because I ain't got no relatives, nor nothing. You guys got any money? Maybe we could do it right now. George spat on the floor disgustedly. Got ten bucks between us. Then he said thoughtfully, Look, if me and Lanny work a month and don't spend nothing, we'll have a hundred bucks. That'd be four fifty. I bet we could swing her for that. Then you and Lanny could go get us started and I'd get a job and make up the rest and you could sell eggs and stuff like that. They fell into a silence. They looked at one another, amazed. This thing they'd never really believed in was coming true. George said reverently, Jesus Christ, I bet we could swing. His eyes were full of wonder. I bet we could swing her, he replied softly. Whoa. So, they've always had this lovely dream. And remember, context. He wants to have the ability to explain why this being set in 1930s Depression era America is relevant to what happens. And so, okay, poverty homelessness, everybody is struggling. People therefore have dreams to sort of try and keep them going. And here they have this dream that they never really think is going to happen. He talks about a farm. He's identified and contacted the people who own a farm and want to sell it. He's only got $10. The two of them between them have got $10. They're not saving well. So it's a lovely dream, but it's not going to happen. 
And then Candy comes in and says, and we learn a bit about Candy. Maybe he's got one hand. He lost his hand in an accident on the farm. And he was given compensation and basically given a pity job, isn't he, really? He's an old man with one hand, but because he got injured on the farm, they let him go around cleaning the, the farm up, being the swamper. And, well, he says, I've got the money. I've got the money saved. I can give you over half the money. And suddenly George is thinking, oh, my God, this could actually happen. This isn't a dream. This could happen. They could put it down as a deposit. They, they could, after they've worked another month, Lenny and Candy can go and get the farm going and George will just work for another month or two till they've got the rest of the cash. It could happen. Isn't this beautiful? Isn't this sweet? Okay. See what happened? Candy sat on the edge of his bunk. He scratched the stump of his wrist nervously. Got hurt four years ago. He said, they'll can me pretty soon. Just as soon as I can't swamp out no monk houses, they'll put me on the county. Maybe if I give you guys my money, you'll let me hoe in the garden, even after I ain't no good at it. And I'll wash dishes and little chicken stuff like that. But it'll be our own place. And I'll be let to work in our own place. Can I, can I just make a couple of quick points? Sorry to interrupt. Um, no, I'm not sorry to interrupt. That's what I do all the time, isn't it, Pumfrey? <laughs> It's not just the loss of the ability to make money, the loss of potential food or whatever, you know. It's the loss of dignity that matters in the 30s. People lose their jobs, they lose their place in society. Candy there doesn't just... All right, he, firstly, he fears being sacked. He said, I'm getting old now, soon I'll be useless, and I've had this pity job, but they will then sack me. They'll get rid and then what do I do? He goes on the county, which is sort of equivalent to benefits. Uh, the American system is different. Um, that would not be a substantial amount of money in those days anyway. Uh, he would be struggling to survive on just these benefits, and nobody would give him a job. So he, it, would, it would almost be like a death sentence for him once he gets sacked. So he sees the farms a chance to keep going and also to keep his dignity going because at least i could keep working doing little jobs for you and feel i'm still useful you, you have no job you feel useless you want to have something and historical point this was a big thing going on in america right now context um america has the wall street crash and the massive depression and Okay, the thing that actually ends the depression, frankly, is the Second World War starting. So, okay, that's out of people's control. But things do get better in the 30s because the president, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, FDR, uh, is a remarkable figure. And he basically calculates that what you need to do is stop people being scared. Try to get people to be normal carry on with their lives and give those unemployed people, those destitute people, their dignity back. He makes a famous speech where he says, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Don't be scared. Let's try to get back on our feet. Don't let fear weigh you down. And he sets up loads and loads of government-funded public works projects. So basically, he creates loads of jobs to try and get the economy back on its feet, thinking that if you do that, people feel better about themselves, the country feels more confident, and then those people have got some money, and they spend it in businesses, those businesses make more money, and the American economy gets back on its feet. It's at massive expense of the government, and there's lots of critics, because some of the critics say that these jobs are worthless. 
the, the classic argument against him was that you pay one group of guys to dig a hole in a field and then you'll pay another gang of guys to fill that hole in. I don't think that's literally true, but nonetheless, I think Roosevelt would have responded by saying, yeah, and those people are bringing in money for their family and a bit of dignity and self-respect is being earned and they can start to put money back into the economy. So even if I was doing that, it'd be justified. Lots of massive projects are done under Roosevelt, like the Hoover Dam, which is enormous. Google that afterwards, you'll say, ooh, that is quite big, fair dues. And some rural areas like the Tennessee Valley are really sort of um, transformed by it because it's an environmental disaster at the same time as the financial disaster, which hits the farms. So that's directly related to candy here, basically just wanting not only to not be sent out in the streets, but to keep his dignity. Right. Sorry, history lesson over. I could do that for an hour, you see. The history bits I really enjoy, so I've got to be, I've got to discipline myself. Um, what he says next is very, very important, though. He said miserably, you see what they've done to my dog tonight? He says he wasn't no good to himself, nor nobody else. When they came here, I wish somebody'd shoot me. But they won't do nothing like that. I won't have no place to go, and I can't get no more jobs. I'll have $30 more coming time you guys is ready to quit. George stood up. We'll do it, he said. We'll fix up that little old place, and we'll go live there. He sat down again. They all sat still, all bemused by the beauty of the thing. Each mind has popped into the future when this lovely thing should come about. George said wonderingly, suppose there was a carnival or a circus come to town or a ball game or any damn thing. Old Candy nodded in appreciation of the idea. We'd just go to her, said George said. We wouldn't ask nobody if we could. Just say, we'll go to her, and we would. Just milk the cow and sling some grain to the chickens and go to her. I'd put some grass to the rabbits, Lenny broke in. I would never forget to feed them. When are we going to do it, George? In one month. Right, squawk in one month. Know what I'm going to do? I'm going to write to them old people that owns the place that we'll take it. And Candy will send a hundred dollars to Binder. Sure will, said Candy. They got a good stove there? Sure got a good stove, burns coal or wood. I I'm going to take my pup, said Lenny. I bet by Christ he likes it there by Jesus. Voices were approaching from outside. George said quickly, don't, have, don't tell nobody about it. Just us three and nobody else. They're liable to can us if we can't make no steak. So, um, they're liable to can us, we can't make no steak. So we can't make no steak. So that basically, if we tell other people, they'll sack us out of spite to stop us being able to do it. Just go on like we was going to buck barley the rest of our lives. And all of a sudden, someday, we'll go get our pay and scram out of here. Lenny and Candy nodded and they were grinning with delight. Don't tell nobody, Lenny said to himself. Candy said, George? Huh? I ought to have shot that dog myself, George. I shouldn't ought to have let no stranger shoot my dog. The door opened. Slim came in, followed by Curly and Carlson and Wet. Slim's hands were black with tar and he was scowling. Curly hung close to his elbow. Um, before I go into this bit, hey, let's see what, what comes of Slim and Curly. Remember Curly accused Slim of being with his wife? He wasn't. Um, hand symbolism is quite major in of mice. When you see the hands a lot, Lenny going to hand over the mouse, not wanting to, but he has to because his master has told him to, like a terrier. And then here, Slim is angry. 
because he's been falsely accused. Slim's hands were black with tar, like his angry mood. Curly's apologetic. I haven't seen him like this before, have we? Because you don't mess with Slim, do you? Curly said, well, I, I didn't mean nothing, Slim. Just asked you. Slim said, well, you've been asking me too often. I'm getting goddamn sick of it. You can't look after your own goddamn wife. What do you expect me to do about it? You lay off of me. I'm just trying to tell you I didn't mean nothing, said Curly. I just thought you might have saw her. Why don't you tell her to... Oh, beg your pardon, Carlson. Why don't you tell her to stay the hell home where she belongs, said Carlson. You let her hang around bunkhouses and pretty soon you're going to have something on your hands and you won't be able to do nothing about it. Curly whirled on Carlson. You keep out of this unless you want to step outside. Carlson laughed. You goddamn punk, he said. You tried to throw a scare into Slim and you couldn't make it stick. Slim threw the scare into you. You're yellow as a frog belly. I don't care if you're the best welder in the country. You come for me and I'll kick your goddamn head off. Candy joined the attack with joy when Curly, Curly's weak. And I know he's his son's boss, but they're not scared at the moment. He's taking on Slim. He's out of his depth. Slim is respected. And they think, oh, Slim can stand up to him. We can all hide behind Slim and have a go as well. Even Candy. And of course, bless him, we know what Candy's going to have a go at. Candy joined the attack with joy. Blow full of Vaseline, he said disgustedly. <laughs> Curly glared at him. His eyes slipped on past and lighted on Lenny. And Lenny was still smiling with delight at the memory of the ranch. Remember, Curly likes picking on big guys. Remember, Curly is massively self-conscious. He's always trying to act big, act tough. And now he thinks Lenny's laughing at him. Everyone's making fun of him. And Lenny's joining in. And Lenny's the guy who he would go after, isn't he? Lenny's not laughing at him. Poor Lenny, while all this argument's going on, is thinking about the rabbits in the farm. Bless him, that's why he's smiling. Curly stepped over to Lenny like a terrier. What the hell are you laughing at? Lenny looked blankly at him. Huh? Then Curly's rage exploded. Come on, you big bastard, get up on your feet. No big son of a bitch gonna laugh at me. I'll show you who's yelling. Lenny looked helplessly at George, and then he got up and tried to retreat. Curly was balanced and poised. He slashed at Lenny with his left, then smashed down his nose with a right. Lenny gave a cry of terror. Blood welled from his nose. Dodge, she cried. Make him let me alone, George. He backed until he was against the wall, and Curly followed, slugging him in the face. Lenny's hand remained at his sides. He was too frightened to defend himself. George is on his feet, yelling, Get him, Lenny! Don't let him do it! Lenny covered his face with his huge paws and bleated with terror. He cried, make him stop, George. Then Curly attacked his stomach and cut off his wind. Slim jumped up the dirty little rat, he cried. I'll get him myself. George put out his hand and grabbed Slim. Wait a minute, he shouted. He cupped his hands around his mouth and yelled, get him, Lenny. Lenny took his hands away from his face and looked about for George and Curly slashed at his eyes. The big face was covered with blood. George yelled again, I said, get him. Curly's fist was swinging when Lenny reached for it. The next minute, Curly was flopping like a fish on a line and his closed fist was lost in Lenny's big hand. George ran down the room. Let go, Lenny, let go! But Lenny watched in terror the flopping little man whom he held. Blood ran down Lenny's face. One of his eyes was cut and closed. George slapped him on the face again and again and still Lenny held on to the closed fist. Curly was white and shrunken by now and his struggling had become weak. He stood crying, his fist lost in Lenny's paw. 
George shouted over and over. Let go his hand, Lanny. Let go, Slim. How come help me while the guy's got any hand left? Suddenly, Lenny let go of his hold. He crouched, cowering against the wall. He told me to, George, he said miserably. Curly sat down on the floor, looking in wonder at his crushed hand. Slim and Carlson bent over him. Then Slim straightened up and regarded Lenny with horror. Got gam into a doctor, he said. Looks to me like every bone in his hand is bust. I, I, I didn't want to, Lenny cried. I didn't want to hurt him. Slim said, Carlson, you get the candy wagon hitched up. We'll take him into Soldad and get him fixed up. Carlson hurried out. Slim turned to the whimpering Lenny. Ain't your fault, he said. This punk sure had it coming to him, but Jesus, he ain't hardly got no hand left. Slim hurried out and in a moment returned with a tin cup of water. He held it to Curly's lips. Okay, let's just go through that for a second. Whoa. So Curly attacks Lenny and is beating him up. Lenny, just like when he's in a panic and clings onto the girl's dress and can't stop, can't defend himself. He's just standing there being punched in the face. It's horrific. Finally, he does defend himself. Yeah, Connor, get him, Lenny. Well said, lad. Um, whenever I read that, I've read this book so many times. I always, the hairs in the back of my neck stand on end every time I read that. I think it's when Slim says, I'll get him myself. And it's like, oh, oh, leave Lenny alone. But anyway, sorry. I'm going off the point here. Um, Lenny, as we were warned before by George, he, he's strong and he don't know no rules. And so Lenny, shall we say, takes a rather an orthodox approach to winning this fight. As Curly's throwing a punch, Lenny grabs his hands. Remember, Lenny's huge. He's got these massive, powerful hands. He catches his hand and then just lifts him off the air. He just grabs him. And it's brilliant, that description. Lenny looks at him in terror. Lenny's scared as he's doing this to him. He's still frightened, and it's fear that's making him do it. And he watches the little man flopping like a fish on a line. Yeah, when he catch a fish and fishing, Curly's there, wobbling around in agony. And Lenny, try this yourself, but don't actually follow through to the end. Grabs someone else's hand, and is so strong he can squeeze until he's crushed that hand. Like Slim said, it looks like he's hardly got any hand left. Broken every bone in his hand, he crushes it. In the John Malkovich, uh, Gary Sinise film, it's really quite graphic. It's good how they do it. They show the hand in the front, like that, in the foreground, out of focus, and then they focus in on it, and you can see Lenny squeezing and blood running down the back of Curly's hand. Oh, it's gross. Okay, so shall we be honest here? They're going to get sacked now, aren't they? See, what Steinbeck's just done, like I keep telling you, playing with your emotions. Wasn't that lovely and happy? They're finally going to make the dream come true. It's going to happen. Don't tell anyone in case we get sacked. And then just when Steinbeck's relaxed you and made you think, what a lovely, happy story, he reminds you there's danger and immediately there's violence, a horrific fight, and now surely that dream's dead because Curly's the son's boss. He's going to get him sacked. He's going to get him canned. George said, Slim, will we get canned now? We need the steak. Will Curly's old man can us now? Slim smiled wryly. He leant down beside Curly. You got your senses in hand enough to listen? He asked. Curly nodded. Well, then listen, Slim went on. I think you got your hand car in the machine. You don't tell nobody what happened, we ain't gonna. But you just try and tell, get this guy canned, 
we'll tell everybody, and then will you get the laugh. I won't tell, said Curly. He avoided looking at Lenny. Curly's a genius. Curly's a genius. See, remember I said he's not Curly, sorry. Slim's a genius. Um, you remember I said that he's not like the other characters. He's totally static. He doesn't change it all, all the way through. He's there to provide judgment and wisdom. So should the dog be killed, we turn to the judge, Slim. He'll decide. He'll tell us. But also, because he's so smart, Steinbeck can, he uses him here to get out of this awkward point. He wants this drama of the fight. He needs it to set up things that will happen later in the book. But why don't they just get sacked now? Well, they don't, because Slim's Slim is brilliant, isn't he? Slim, remember it says, he understands more than is said. He's very wise. So he knows that what Curly fears most is not getting beaten up. It's humiliation. He wants to look big and tough. Remember, Candy said he's like these little guys who want to start a fight with the big guys. So he wants to look tough. He fears looking stupid. He only takes on big guys because, like he says, if he wins, he looks like a hero. If he loses, then the big guy gets criticised for bullying him. So he's always quite calculating. He's married this beautiful girl that he has no feelings for because he wants to show off I've got a beautiful wife. He just wants to look like the big man. He wears his boots around the ranch to show, look, I am in charge. Well, Slim has earned authority. Curly is just desperate to tell everyone, I've got authority. I've got authority. You've got to respect me. Yeah? So Slim understands that the worst thing that would happen for him would be for it to get out that, oh, Curly, he reckons he's a tough guy, does he? He's supposed to be a good boxer, is he? Oh, did you hear that he attacked this bloke who has learning difficulties and this big, unathletic fella, and the bloke just grabbed him by the hand, lifted him up in the air and squeezed until he smashed his hand into pieces? Oh, my God, he's pathetic. Slim's right, isn't he? That's the, that would be the absolute nightmare for Curly. to be. Everyone would be laughing at him. Imagine, like, the biggest tough guy in your year in school and everyone knowing that that happened to him. Good Lord. <laughs> it would be so humiliating. Slim, yeah? So Slim is used by Steinbeck to get us out of a tricky plot situation. Clever. In some ways, Slim's a device more than he's a character. He's used to show us what George is like, to get us out of this situation, to establish that it is right to kill the dog, at least for the dog's sake although carlson has different motives yeah slim's a different type of character like i said the other day like the inspector in inspector calls he's a facilitator he's a static character static character doesn't change but makes things happen buggy wheels sounded outside slim helped curly up come on now carlson's going to take you to a doctor he helped curly out the door the sound of wheels drew away in a moment, Slim came back into the bunkhouse. He looked at Lenny, still crouched fearfully against the wall. Let's see your hands, he asked. Lenny stuck out his hands. Christ almighty, I hate to have you mad at me, Slim said. George broke in. Lenny was just scared, he, he explained. He didn't know what to do. I, I told you nobody ought to never fight him. No, I guess it was Candy, I told. Candy nodded solemnly. It's just what you done, he said. Right this morning, when Curly first lit into your friend, he, you says, you better not fool with Lenny if he knows what's good for him. That's just what you says to me. George turned on Lenny. You ain't your fault. Turned to Lenny, sorry. It ain't your fault, he said. You don't need to be scared no more. You done just what I told you. Maybe you better go in the wash house and clean up your face. You look like hell. And then he smiled with his bruised mouth. I, I didn't want no trouble, he said. 
he walked towards the door, but just before he came to it, he turned back. George, what you want? I can still tend the rabbits, George. Sure, you ain't done nothing wrong. I, I didn't mean no harm, George. Well, get the hell out and wash your face. And I think that's where we should leave it for now because it's a completely new section coming up, new chapter in some books. Any questions? Are there any questions? I'll hang around for a little bit. Usual routine. If there's any questions, I'll answer them now. Or I will leave that end screen running for about 10 minutes. If you want to put any questions on there, you're more than welcome to. Remember, of course, Mr. Donlan's got another trigonometry lesson on Monday. Oh, I thought it was brilliant, the lesson he did before, and that will be up on YouTube. Um, remember that Mr. Wilkinson will be putting out messages as well, sending out a, a, a proper final list of all the class codes on Monday. Got to make sure everybody is logged into it. And also, um, we're going to start on our podcast channel, and these all go out as podcasts as well, um, some short story readings. So if you're a bit bored, fancy having a listen to a story, then we'll fire them out. Okay? So, any questions? Oh, hello. Oh, no, 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 no. Ah, right, making steaks right now. In this sense, they're not, it's not, it doesn't mean a steak in terms of a piece of wood. When they say roll up a steak, they mean money. Yeah? So if you, in, in a card game, you would put, the money that you put down is your steak. People ever, ever heard someone saying the stakes are high, like the, the important is high, it's because there's a lot of money down. So a stake in this sense is the amount is is the money they're trying to to save. So they're trying to say we're gonna we're gonna roll up a stake, we're gonna make money, save it so that we can put it down on the house. Does that make sense? Steaks are complicated, word, aren't they? You got steak spelled differently, as in meat. You got the steak we talked about a couple of days ago, the wooden post in the ground or metal post that they threw the horseshoes at, and then stake in this sense of money. So that in this sense they mean stake is cash. Yeah, sorry, just the my usual thing. I got this from my dad of explaining something eight times rather than once. Sorry about that. <laughs> Any more questions? Oh, good question. I like that. Thank you very much, Regina. Uh, what does what do I like with my beans? Come on. One day someone's going to answer that question. Someone's going to respond to that. But it's not today. Okie dokie. Oh, I should maybe follow up to that question as well. Yes, yeah, so remember what they're doing is they're working on a farm basically bringing in the crops. You know, you see big wheat fields and things like that. They're just basically cutting it down, sticking it onto um, carts and bringing them back so they can sell them and send them out. Yeah? Okay. Well, I'll put the end screen on for 10 minutes. So if anybody wants to ask any questions, they're more than welcome to. Um, I will continue tomorrow. I know it's the weekend, but... Well, firstly, for Year 9's benefit, because I want... Obviously, I know that Year 9 didn't get an opportunity to actually read the book in class. So, you know, in order to be able to do your classwork, you, <laughs> I reckon, need to read the book. So this is to try and help you out, uh, primarily. And also because, well, I mean, it's very weird this at the moment, isn't it? Saturdays feel the same as any other day. So I'm going to go now, but I will do it tomorrow. I will do it tomorrow. Same time, same place. It's been a pleasure chatting to you all. Adios.